Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I am here with Stephanie. So I actually met Stephanie via a podcaster I follow, Nicole Holland. She reached out to me and she's like, so I have these women that I work with and I'm looking for podcasts for them to be featured on it. She's like, I think they'd be great for you. And I'm like, okay, I respect you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so Stephanie Reinold is a board certified psychiatrist. And as many of you guys know, like, I'm not going for a psychiatrist, I'm going for a psychologist, but I mean, that's still, I told Stephanie, I'm like, oh, hashtag goals, I totally want to be where you are. Uh, maternal mental health expert and founder of Not the Typical Mom, blog and podcast about not so typical, but all too common issues of motherhood. And I think you're speaking to me when you say that, because I feel like I'm not the typical mom. I feel I see everybody else doing all these things, and I'm like... I just don't have it in me. I'm one of those moms that's like, I need a vacation for my kids. And then I'll see other moms posting on Facebook that are like, I don't know why people need a vacation from their kids. I love my kids. I'm like, no, I need to be away. <laughs> so Stephanie helps high achieving moms escape the stereotypes, find their hearts and embrace who they really are so that they can kill it in life, love and business. So I love that, Stephanie. What I wanted to start off with is, you haven't always been where you are today. I've, I've read your book, and I'll link it up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com for anybody who's listening. You've had some struggles along the way. So you want to share a few of those struggles with us so we can get to know you and find out, like, how did you get where you are today? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, every great supermom has an origin story, right? So every, probably the most common question I get asked by people today, so this is today, 2018, People will be like, how do you do it all? And then, so I just, I, I usually humble myself with those people because for every great supermom, there is an origin story of pain. And I think this is a lot of our story. A lot of women have a backstory, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, like most people, I grew up with two middle-class working parents, you know, who for the most part, like they worked a lot. So it was me and my two brothers. Um, my dad worked in restaurant business for a thousand and one reasons that is for a different podcast, but I really suffered from a very long time for, from an eating disorder and really low body image. So I would say that was probably the first pain point. Um, and I would consider sort of the thorn in my side that for probably over a decade of my life and anybody who's familiar with eating disorders or just poor body image struggles, there is a mood component associated too. So I think it's really hard to tell, you know, clinically teasing out like what came first, depression and anxiety or the eating disorder, it was all intertwined with me. So this is all important because in my most recent story and the story that I'm very public with on my platform, after my daughter was born five years ago, I had very severe postpartum depression. And even being in the mental health space, I was oblivious to it. I mean, I was a doctor. I was literally in my psychiatry training and I mean, I sort of knew this isn't right, but I was like most women. I was, I was thinking it was a moral failure on my part or, you know, I just needed to do more of this or do more of that or, you know, I just needed to push through, you know, which is like the worst thing you can do when you're really in that state of depression. But 
that all that to say, I was very high risk for having postpartum depression. But again, it's like stuff we don't talk about because all those years prior when I had an eating disorder. So I, I should say by this time, my eating disorder was in recovery, you know, and I hadn't really been you know, clinically depressed for a very long time before. But given that history, you're very, you're much more high risk for having a depressed episode after having a baby. But I was just clueless. I mean, I was fairly young. I had my, I was 25, um, 26, like right after I turned 26, right after I had her. And, you know, I had only been married like less than two years. Like I was still kind of a newlywed and it just rocked my world. I mean, it just was, and it really scared me too, because my baby, my, herself was a fairly easy baby. She was a good sleeper. You know, I was actually sleeping well, but it was just all the worries and thoughts. And I mean, I would have, you know, like all these intrusive thoughts that like she was going to fall down the stairs. We lived in this like three-story townhouse outside Washington, DC. And I would just have these visions of like her like falling down the stairs and I wouldn't be able to like carry her up the stairs, like even to go to sleep. So like, I would just leave her. Like I would just like hold her like on my chest, like taking a nap, like, you know, on the couch downstairs. And, you know, I'd be like so petrified to like take her to bed. And, you know, my, I would have to have my, my husband take her to bed. And, you know, it eventually got to the point where the thoughts were projected toward me, where, you know, I was thinking of harming myself because it mm -hmm. just, it got really so bad. And I will say at that point, it was a wake up call to me because I hadn't had those thoughts before. And it was, concerning enough that I did eventually tell my husband, but I, this was not until my baby was close to nine months old. I mean, this was, and you know, I should also say that in this time I would have good days, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I was smiling. Like, you know, if you saw pictures of me, like you'd never have a clue. Like I, I wore it really well. I mean, I, one of my friends, she calls it glossy depression. And I think it was so true. Like I had glossy depression. Like I would go to work, like nothing was wrong, but just like, it was just the mental chaos in my brain. Like I could not turn it off. And I, it eventually just got to the point where I just felt literally like paralyzed. Like I was walking through quickstand. Like I could not really, I, like I physically just could not like move any faster in my life. And so it just was this huge, I mean, it was just a huge wake up call. And I, you know, I subsequently did seek professional treatment. You know, I was on medication for a while. I, I was in um, therapy, which, you know, after a few months, like it, I got better and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, why did it take me so long? Like, I feel great now. Like, I mean, treatment works, you know, <laughs> and it was more than that though. Like it was coming out, you know? And I, so I finally like came out with my struggles, like telling people, like telling family, telling my husband. And it just felt so good to share. And eventually over time, you know, so I should say throughout this time, I, I, you know, the bug, like the four hour work week bug kind of hit me at the same time. So I had been blogging and kind of pursuing like different little online business pursuits. And, um, I had like a food blog for a while and just like different random things. And it, it got to a point where I was healed enough, I think from my own journey that I felt comfortable to sort of open up about my own struggles. And this was probably about maybe two years ago or so now that I really started to become public. And by public, I mean like actually sharing on social media and, you know, via a public blog, like talking about my struggle. And I was, gosh, Megan, I can tell you, like, I remember when I clicked publish on that first blog post, like the first post when I legit was coming out. It was like a coming out party that like, I went through this 
And so my daughter was three at this time. Okay. So this was probably about, you know, I was probably cured, cured. I was back to my baseline when she was about a year old. I think that was a big milestone for me. So this was two years sort of after the fact. And I, I almost like had a panic attack just from so much fear, like putting myself out there. So anyone listening that's like, you know, they, you like ready to share your story. Like it never gets easy. I mean, it's not easy that first time, but it gets easier over time. You know, the more you share it because I, I can still like physically remember that. Gosh, I still remember. And I just, I don't know. It was like the same feeling when I first told my husband that I even had postpartum depression, that I was going to be judged or people were going to assume things about me, or I don't know what I thought. I just, I was just so petrified of being like ostracized or judged by people, I guess. So I just held it in. I got to tell you though, it was so therapeutic. I mean, I clicked publish and within the hour, within the hour, I was getting, gosh, it gives me goosebumps kind of telling this, but I would get messages from random people that like friends I hadn't talked to since high school. And cause I had shared it to my personal account and they would be like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so thankful that you shared. Like I went through this too. Like, here's my story, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I got like so much feedback and I was like, I got, I got to keep sharing my story. Like I I have to keep being public with this because this is such a prevalent problem. I mean, yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I like how you shared that, like when you've already experienced some sort of depression or something in your life that it's, it's likely it's going to reoccur. Like if something can happen and then just suddenly you're like, where did this come from? I've been good for so long and why is this here? But then it is because I too have struggled with depression. Actually, I was diagnosed with clinical depression oh, five years ago. And that was when I saw my first therapist. And that's the reason I want to be a therapist myself now is because it changed my life so much. But there's so much stigma around it, right? And you, and you touched on that about like, you do this for a living and you were worried about seeking that help because of the stigma. Why do you think that there is such a stigma around mental health? Like, I love hearing other people's perspectives on this because it it kind of baffles me. I mean, I understand when I was growing up, my parents really never talked about it. We never talked about mental health. We never talked about any of those things, even though my entire family pretty much has experienced depression. (laughs) And now I'm like, but to me, it seems common sense where I talk to my children all the time about those things. You know, if they're struggling, I'm like, okay, we'll take you to see a therapist. Like if I can't help you, then that's a professional. They can help you. <laughs> totally. I, I'm there with you. Like it's becoming slightly more mainstream, but, and just mainstream in the way that people are even having these kinds of conversation. Cause mm-hmm. gosh, 30 years ago, people wouldn't even be having these conversations, you know? And you know, I should say just to back up slightly, you know, postpartum depression is not new. You know, people mm-hmm. talk about, and then depression, anxiety, postpartum depression, whatever. These are not new problems. I mean, suicide rates of postpartum women were at an all-time high actually in the 1950s. So, you know, these issues, like even Hippocrates back in like, you know, AD whatever, like when he was around, used to talk about milk fever. And it was the idea that like, they thought like breast milk was causing women to, you know, become ill. And so, this is not a new problem. This is just new that we're talking about it a lot more. So I just want to throw that out there a little bit too, because I, I think it kind of helps to know that the issue is not there, which kind of helps to destigmatize it a little bit because it is a biological thing. 
Like if literally women in every century have struggled with this, it's not something about the environment today. It's, I mean, although whatever, we could go on a whole tangent on that, but <laughs> it's not, it's not like a unique situation to 2018 that we're all having more postpartum depression all of a sudden. No, it's that we are probably recognizing it more. We're screening mm-hmm. for it more. You know, women are getting more help. They're speaking out about it more. So it's becoming a little bit pop culture e, which can help, absolutely can help. Um, it can also hurt though too. And I think this comes back to the stigma of it. I think sometimes, you know, when Hollywood or pop culture get involved in mental health issues, you can be more stigmatized because gosh, um, our parents' generation, you know, it was like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't even know if I've actually seen the whole movie, but I know there was something with a lobotomy and like, it was a really, I think, Probably things like that did happen because I know institutions, some of them were run very horribly back in the day. That is by and large the exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. And we don't routinely do lobotomies anymore. Lobotomies are like where we take out part of your brain. So that whole movie is very fiction. And it was a fiction book. I mean, it was really taken a lot of liberty with, you know, quote unquote reality. So unfortunately that's kind of our parents' generation. And I really think it comes down to, we can't see the problem. You know, like we can't, as of yet, you know, there's technology in the works, but as of yet, we can't look at a blood value and say, you know, they have depression or we can't look at a brain scan, although technically you can, we just don't routinely do those brain scans, but actually technically you can look at a depressed brain and it does, you can tell it's a depressed brain versus a healthy brain again for a whole other discussion. But I think because like clinical case of depression it's not like a skin rash. It's not something that just presents itself outside. And it's not something that gets better quickly either. Mm -hmm. You know, the treatments that we have, at least right now, the treatments that we have, um, and maybe this will change in the future, but they take a long time to work. So Mm -hmm. everything is very slow in the field of psychiatry. So it's like, you know, for me, even on medication, it took probably a solid eight, to 10 weeks for me to kind of feel like myself again. And I think that's actually pretty quick. Some women, it's more about three to six months that it takes them of really, really resting their brain and being on the right medicine and doing the right therapy tools to like help them move past that time. So, I mean, it is just, it's really sad though, because I can't imagine, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's what I got. <laughs> I like it though. It is, it is such a, it's such a like crazy twisted thing, right? Because yes, you might see this person who maybe um, experienced some trauma. Maybe they lost a really close member of their family or something. And all they need is to go in and, and have some, you know, get some therapy and maybe be on medication for a little while just to regroup themselves and they'll be okay. But then there are some of us like, I'm good at faking it. Like people can't tell when I'm depressed unless you're really close to me because I have dealt with depression majority of my life. So like now, like I could be out in public and you'd have no idea. You wouldn't be like, oh, she looks depressed to me because it's this internal thing that we don't see on the outside. It doesn't present itself. And I think going back to the postpartum depression is the problem is like you said, Hollywood has like this dramatized version where you're like, you know, crying all the time and, and you're wanting to like be nowhere near your baby and like this like extreme version of postpartum depression where people don't realize like it can be something milder where you just, you just 
don't feel anything. <laughs> You're like, I don't, that's a depression to me. That's how it manifests is I don't feel anything. I'm like numb to the world. I'm just like, I don't know. So how did, what kind of symptoms did you see when you noticed that you had postpartum depression? What, what were you seeing? Like the specific symptoms that maybe somebody listening could be like, oh, I'm experiencing that. Or I have experienced that. Maybe I had postpartum depression. Now, mind you, I do want to say like it can vary per person, but you know, we've done, we've done a, um, episode on postpartum depression almost a year ago. And so maybe somebody could listen to her version and your versions and see like some similarities in theirs as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you asked too, because, um, it is totally different because at the end of the day, it's a personality behavioral kind of problem. So it's depending on your individual personality, it's going to affect your individual personality and behavior differently, if that makes sense. So it, you know, because those are the parts of the brain that depression and anxiety affect. I'll also say that depression and anxiety tend to be intertwined very closely. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, kind of, I don't want you to think about those words as interchangeable because they're not. They're very mm-hmm. much distinct clinical presentations. However, the same neurotransmitters that are sometimes on like, uh, this is way simplifying things, but just mm-hmm. for you guys' sake, sometimes they're sort of on hyper overdrive in anxiety, whereas for depression, they're sort of not stimulated enough. And that kind of imbalance, again, super simplified because it's a lot more complicated than just a chemical imbalance. But nonetheless, easy to think about like that, that depression is just kind of a less form of those neurotransmitters and anxiety is kind of like a hyperactive form of it. And so for me, so it's all that to say, it's not uncommon for people to either switch between the two, you know, like within a state of depression, they also feel anxious or one can lead to the other. And so I should Mm -hmm. say for me, it really presented itself initially as anxiety, which I probably, I'm probably more on the anxious spectrum. You know, I'm very type A, I'm very driven. And so that's probably why for my particular case, it took me a long time to identify it as postpartum depression because initially I, I literally just thought it was normal. And I just thought, you know, it was a little more hyperactive, obviously, because I had a baby, but I'd never had a baby before, so I didn't know this was any different. And I should say, too, that a lot of people in my family are on the anxious spectrum. So again, like I was sort of being reinforced that like how I was responding, how I was acting was not actually abnormal. And so, um, so like just to say, so like I would, when we would go out for like an outing, um, say like uh, – like we would go, I remember there was a park near us and we would, my husband at the time, we were still runners. And so we would go, we'd have our jogging stroller. I would get so anxious if I couldn't feed my daughter at a like exact time. Mm-hmm. Like I would have it, like I have to break it this time. So like if we were on the loop, like on the running track loop and I couldn't get back to the car to feed her, I was also incredibly anxious like to breastfeed at all in public. And so I would just like I would just feel this like physical bubbling of like anxiety. Like I literally felt like I was going to crawl out of my skin. And so because my husband didn't get it, because I wasn't communicating with him, I would just like hold it all in and I would bubble it all in. And then after, you know, it didn't happen, like I would not feed my daughter at a time and I would get all this like anxious thoughts and then I would explode. Like I would get like super like angry at my husband or I would just like scream or I would, um, just like get so anxious about other things. Like I would just project it all over the place. And so it would just be little things. And like, I was very hypersensitive, like initially in those first couple of months, like I remember, um, 
you know, like attendings, attendings are just like the doctors that are kind of your supervisors in training. They would say things that weren't even necessarily negative, but I would just assume everything. Like my mind would just like, so anxiety is like an overactive thought process in your Mm -hmm. brain. It's also a physical manifestation in your body. So like your heart can beat really fast. You can start sweating. You can get clammy. You can talk really quickly. You can, you know, everything's kind of on hyper overdrive. So I would get all these thoughts that were like 10 steps into the future. You know, Mm -hmm. I would think like if I, like, I remember I got this call. It's a good example. Um, My daughter was probably like four months old at this time. And I got this call. She had a fever at daycare and I, I couldn't get to her. I was stuck in DC traffic and I was so anxious. I mean, not only DC traffic is like the worst traffic in the world. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> but I was like having so much anxiety that like, oh my gosh, if I don't get to her, then, you know, they're going to think I'm a horrible mom. They're going to call CPS on me. Or, you know, if I, um, if, if I don't get to her, then like, she's going to die or like, you know, she's going to like throw up more. I'm going to be like a horrible mom. And then what is my husband going to think of me? And then, I mean, it was just this looping of thoughts. And then, you know, I'd call my husband and try to like sputter out some words, but like, I couldn't communicate all of the thoughts I was having in my brain. Um, you know, I already mentioned, you know, the idea of just like the stairs was really scary to me. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to like carry her up and down the stairs because I would have these like visions of her like falling down the stairs and I like couldn't turn off those intrusive thoughts. And you know, the, I hear that a lot actually, like, um, commonly like women will have the thoughts that their baby's going to drown. So they're like afraid to give their baby a bath. Mm -hmm. And so then it was eventually for me. So my anxiety really, when I stopped breastfeeding, which is also a huge trigger, it was like all of that just like shut off. And I really remember it pretty vividly. It was about a week after I weaned from breastfeeding. And I, and at that point, I felt like you did. I felt like I didn't have feelings. Like I literally felt like, I mean, you can read in my book. I just felt like, who am I? Like I felt like a, like a ghost. Like I mm-hmm. I was crying, but I wasn't actually like feeling sad. I was just so disconnected. Like just, it's so hard to explain out loud to people actually like depression because it it truly is something like women will ask me, you know, like, how do you know it was depression? And it, I always tell them the same thing. I tell them it's, it's kind of like when you meet your spouse, you just know I don't know. Most people feel that way. I felt that way. I felt that way when I met my spouse. Like, I just know he's going to be my husband, you know, or you reach that level of your relationship. It's like that in depression. Like you just know, like this was, I had probably had maybe like some mild depression in my past, but never like this, like never. Mm. Cause it, I mean, it literally got to the point where you do, you contemplate death because you think that maybe you will feel something if you harm yourself or maybe like literally the world is a better place if you just went away because you kind of already feel dead inside. I mean, it's, Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm being like super honest and vulnerable with you guys. It is such a really all-consuming, like depressed feeling. And it's, and so, I mean, the symptom, I guess like concrete symptoms you asked me about, like I felt I couldn't concentrate. I was making kind of some careless mistakes at work, like um, nothing, thank God, that like affected really clinical outcome of my patients. But just like I wouldn't order their um, medications like at a right at the right time, or I wouldn't get a lab value that I normally would order on somebody, or um, 
you know, I, I was like super hypersensitive and like hyper it's, this is the irony, right? Like I was hyper aware of other people's effect on me, but I wasn't feeling anything myself. Um, and I was really slowed down. Like I literally just felt like my brain, like I turned the knob and I used to be going like a hundred miles an hour. And now I was going like 10 miles an hour. And I like couldn't make myself speed up. Like there was no, you know, accelerator. Like I, there was nothing within my power. Like I would drink more caffeine. I would get more sleep. I would work out more, um, which honestly it was probably all hurting the problem even more looking back. But I was just so slowed down is probably the biggest, I think, symptom that I had because I mean, at my baseline, I, I am like a super mom. I'm super efficient. I'm like a go-getter. I have tons of energy. I'm like really a bubbly, like high energy person. So that was a really huge wake up call to me that like this, and that's actually when loved ones around me started noticing. Um, and that was probably huge too. Cause when you get to the point where your mental sort of manifests into like the real world, you know, cause I'm like you, like, and most women, I think most of us sort of hide it. Well, we sort of suck it up. We just like keep it on the inside and we don't, you know, we don't complain. We don't share anything. Cause we think we're crazy. You know, we think it's all within our head and we just need to get over it. We don't think that this actually could be a clinical diagnosis with clinical treatment and really good outcomes because no one tells us this stuff. And so we just hold it in and until it gets really bad until, yeah, it is probably affecting how you care for yourself. Like, you know, your hygiene could be off, you know, you could be acting slower. You could just, your behaviors could be different, you know, things that you normally took pleasure in. You probably don't take pleasure in anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a million and one things. Yeah. I love how that you went into that. Uh, and I love how you went into the suicidal thoughts because actually I have my nice little semicolon on my wrist as a reminder of, cause, uh, five years ago, I tried to take my life because I felt like that. I felt so numb and I couldn't feel anything. And I was like, the world would just be better off without me because I have to be affecting everybody around me being like this, like not being able to, cause I'm like you too. Like I'm more type A. I, I always have to be doing something right. I'm always, you know, the next thing that I'm launching or like now I'm going to school or there's always something that I'm doing and when I'm in that place, I'm not doing. Instead, I'm just like, I could just sit here and watch Netflix all day, but it's not gonna make me happy. It's not gonna, I'm not gonna enjoy it. It's just, I just zone out. Like, I don't feel like the normal person. And I feel like a lot of times with moms, we don't just see this in the postpartum stage, but sometimes we'll see it later on because that mom guilt, you know, like we feel like we're not doing enough, like that we need to be like Susie Homemaker and making like, fresh baked cookies for the PTA and that we need to be at every award ceremony. I remember the last award ceremony my kids had, I had a therapy appointment and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I'm going to, I'm not in a place where I can like reschedule this therapy appointment. Like, cause, um, my oldest daughter had just like, she had just moved back home. She had lived with her dad for a little while. So it was like a, a big mess here. And I was like, I need it. I need self-care. I need to see my therapist and I need to talk to my therapist. And I felt horrible because I was like torn between like going to the littles award ceremony because all of them made honor roll or me taking care of myself. But I knew that I had to take care of myself because I've gotten to that place. But share with us a little bit more about like the mom guilt that you felt. You mentioned it a little bit with the breastfeeding. What are some, sometimes that you felt that mom guilt? Like you felt like I, what am I doing? <laughs> 
Um, well, working, being a working mom is, was a huge issue for me. Huge. I mean, still to this day, I'll be very honest. Like it is a daily, it gets better because I've now acknowledged that work fills my soul and really fills my cup. And so although technically I have a lot less face-to-face time with my kids every day than say, um, you know, a stay-at-home mom would, I know that the time I do have is a lot better quality time. And my husband has actually been really good about reframing that to me too, because um, definitely a plug for my husband, because every time I usually bring up like, maybe I should be a stay-at-home mom, like maybe I should give up my day job, like all together and, you know, do, and and I've tried it all, Megan. Like I've tried the full-time work at home. I've tried, I stayed at home actually after my son was born with both my kids for like three months, my maternity leave that didn't end well. <laughs> so, and I am a happier mom when I'm working. Like I am just, I think a part of me, like, you know, I have my side hustle. I have my online business, but I still have a clinical practice and that's a very big part of who I am. And I, maybe in the future, it'll come a day when I'm ready to give that up. But right now I I'm okay with that. And there's probably a lot of reasons for it. Like, so my, I mean, I will say my own mom, she was a working mom. However, she was not a happy working mom. Like she wanted to be the stay-at-home mom, you know, mm-hmm. and she sort of, she fed me that subliminal message kind of my whole life that like, if you were a good mom, you would stay at home with your kids. Or if you had enough, you know, financial income or if you budgeted better, you could stay at home with your kids and that's the best thing for your kids. Of course, she never said these words verbatim. I'm just, that's the messaging that I internalized in my own childhood. And so I think all we know when we become a mom is what, our mom pretty much was like, or what our friends are like. And so I think without realizing it, unless you had an incredibly traumatic childhood, and then in that case, usually you want to do the opposite of your mom, Mm -hmm. but without realizing it, we sort of want what our mom had or what she did because it's all we know. It's all we know to do because it's the only modeling we've ever had in our lives. And so it's so funny. Um, I mean, that was huge. And you know, the same, gosh, I had a C-section. She was, oh, you know, my daughter three. was breathing. <laughs> yeah. And that was a huge source. I mean, start with like day number one, like from having the baby, I just felt like I was failing. I mean, that mm-hmm. probably was a whole like spiral downward from there, but I just, I felt like here's this ideal image of, you know, quote unquote, perfect motherhood. And I was failing on everything. Like I, I stopped breastfeeding at like four and a half months. Um, I, you know, I, I eventually like wasn't making enough milk and I couldn't pump any longer. You know, I was a working mom. And after my daughter was born, I worked a lot of hours. I mean, I was in residency. It was like 60 to 80 hour work weeks. You know, I had overnight call shifts. Like it was, it wasn't just like a 40 hour, like nine to five. It was like, I was very much away from my daughter. I really, I saw her in the morning when I dropped her off and I tucked her into bed at night. And that was sadly, that was probably like five to six days a week for the first six months of her life. It was, and still even saying that out loud sometimes causes me just some guilt, but I, I just send myself a lot of compassion now that that was, my, that was my situation. Cause the guilt is like, oh, I should have waited to have kids. You know, I was so foolish for getting pregnant when I did. And, you know, and I, I even blame myself for having postpartum depression because I was like, I'm away from my family. I was working full time. Like, you know, why did I even have, you know, why did I even have a baby to begin with? I could have prevented all of these struggles. and. Um, you know, gosh, my, my son, my second full pregnancy, I had a miscarriage between the two and my second full pregnancy, he was uh, measuring small and I blamed myself. I was like, maybe cause I was dieting or cause I was working out too much or, you know, it's like all because of me. And you know, it's, 
I think everything you can get just like that guilt, like overcomes you sometimes. Um, you know, I, I will honestly say probably, and probably since I've really started my online brand. So I've had an online business kind of off and on for the last five years, but not the typical mom is relatively new. So I rebranded everything, um, as actually, as I was writing my book. So last fall, so it's, we're coming up on about seven months, like almost a year, September, it'll be a year, but, um, it really helped me reframe a lot of that. And whether it was just, I had to, cause this was my brand and this was, you know, I was helping clients and, you know, patients now, but it also was me doing the work. I mean, I've, I've been open. I've had professional treatment. I've had professional coaching and professional therapy. Like I've had it all. And it's all been the best investment by the way. Um, again, I know there's a lot of shame. And so sometimes it's hard to like, you know, I've had private therapy. So like that did not accept my insurance. And so I've had to pay a lot of money for that. It's, and it's a privilege. I'm very like privileged that I had those finances that I could afford it. But I also think it's like the best investment. I mean, I honestly, like I would give up massages. I would give up manicures. I would give up like all that other stuff just for my therapy. Cause it was that transformative for me. Um, and I think doing that work really helped me just accept that I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be like Susie next door. I'm not going to be like anybody. And that's kind of my whole brand now. Like I'm not the typical mom. Like I'm like, but none of us are right. Like none yeah. of us fit the stereotypes. Even if you think Susie next door is like the Fitzbo mom of the quarter, like I guarantee you Fitzbo mom down the corner still has those days where she doesn't love her body. And you know what? I guarantee you that hippie, all crunchy mom down at the end of the street, I guarantee you she feeds her kids goldfish sometimes. Like I guarantee you, like none of these people who you think are whatever you have manifested in your head about this person, it does not exist because we know, like we put forth this image, this persona to the world, you know, myself included, like this is my persona to you, but you guys still don't know what's inside of my mind and my brain every day. And we, we all have demons on a daily basis that we struggle with. And I think it's just how we process that and how, you know, knowing that like, you don't have to be like someone else to be like good enough. Like you can be good enough and not have that guilt just because of who you are. And it's a really simple philosophy, but it's also really, really profound. Yeah. I love that. I don't think, I always say this, I don't think there's one perfect way to parent, right? Yes. Are there bad ways? Absolutely. You shouldn't be beating your kid. You shouldn't be starving them. They should probably be sleeping in a bed, you know, those sort of things that are kind of like the basics. But when it comes down to like all these different things, like what you should feed your child, you know, should this, should your child play video games, you know, should, you know, all of these things where, it's such a gray area where there's like no one right or wrong answer. And so many times we're beating ourselves up, not just because we are beating ourselves up, but then we see everybody else out there like mom shaming and mom judging. We're just like, can't you just let me be like, just leave me alone and let me be the mom I want to be. Like if I, if my fun time is not going to a, a park with my kids. My fun time is going out and having wine with my girlfriends. I'm pretty sure my kids want the best version of me that they can get. And that's, what's going to make me the best version. Just for like you, you said you love working. It lights you up. It fulfills you. Well, if you didn't do that and you were a stay at home mom, 
you probably wouldn't feel that way. And then they wouldn't be getting the best version of their mom that they could. Like I know from personal experience, because when my husband and I got married, I had my two older daughters and then we had twins together. Not, not by choice. They were magical, <laughs> magical twins that came. <laughs> we went for one, we got two. But <laughs> anyways, we decided I'd be a stay-at-home mom. I'd never been one. I was always a working mom. So I didn't know what that would be. It was not my jam. It was not my jam. I was miserable. I hated life. Like it was, for me, it was awful. But I know some people who love it and who wish they could stay home with their kids. And fortunately for me, like you said, I'm privileged enough to that my, I can stay home with my kids or I can, I can work. I do whatever I want pretty much because my spouse makes enough money that covers all of our bills. And I know not everybody has that choice, but if you have a choice and you're able to figure it out, your children need the best version of you, whether that means working, stay at home mom, doing a little bit of both, whatever that might be. And I, I love how that you made that a point to be the best mom you can be. So what are some things that have helped you and your community be the best moms they can be what are those things that you see that's like a common a common ingredients of like yeah we might be all different kinds of moms but what are the like the common themes of what we need to be the best version of us that we can be well i think it really comes back to ourselves and so i mean to just really make it very concrete for you like what is something in your life right now that is causing you a lot of stress and anxiety like one thing um so a lot of postpartum women can probably say like eating their baby. Um, so I'm giving this example because it is like such a common one. And so even if you're not postpartum, you're not still breastfeeding, whatever, you can probably relate just kind of to walk through like the mechanism. But so for instance, a lot of women I talk to, especially in my clinical practice, breastfeeding tends to be a huge stressor, whether it's they are, you know, breastfeeding too much, breastfeeding too little, like, you know, not using formula you know, whatever. There's always some stressor around feeding your baby. And so I'll ask them, why are you doing what you're doing? So I think looking at like, what is like your motivation for doing that thing that is causing you so much stress and anxiety? And for a lot of people, they don't really have a very clear answer. They will usually say something like, well, I just assumed I would keep breastfeeding or, well, it's just the best thing for the baby, quote unquote, or, you know, uh, it's, it's just what I thought I would do or, but like, they really don't have any clarity. So then when I give them permission, like it's, it's okay to stop it or give it up, you know, it's like label went off in their brain. Like, the, you know, breastfeeding is a bad example because there's, I know the, there's a lot of moral judgment about that. So I'll try to try to stay on neutral territory, but I'll just say like, breast is not actually not always best for mom and fed is best. So if something is stressing you out and really affecting your mental health, I think you need to do what is best for your mental health because I personally think that all health, like all holistic health begins in your mind. It begins with emotional, mental health and that's sort of going off on a tangent, but like, why are you actually even doing that thing? You know, like if you're working for it's so funny just recently. So my husband is actually deploying soon. And so we had this, you know, one of those like existential conversations of like, what'll happen if he dies and, you know, without getting really sappy, like we were just talking though. And my husband kind of threw out the question, like, cause we have an insurance policy. Like I know that I'd be very well taken care of if God forbid anything did ever happen. But mm -hmm. you know, he was like, what do you, what do you really want to do? Like if you really didn't need the money, you know, what do you really want to do? 
And it's such a really simple, but yet like kind of difficult question to answer. And it was really hard for me even. And that's where it comes back to like, I'm happy as a working mom because I, I literally can, I can honestly say, honestly to you listeners, I can honestly say if I was given a billion dollars tomorrow, I would probably still be doing exactly what I'm doing. I, I honestly think like, I am not that person that is just going to like sit around and like lounge all day. Like that's, that will not fill my soul. Um, I would probably hire on a lot more staff and like, you know, a lot more people to help me with stuff. And I could probably build my business a lot faster, but I, I don't think I would be doing anything different from what I'm doing. And so ask yourself that question, like money and the validation from other people and your image to the world tends to be a huge motivator for us. But what if it wasn't about the money? And what if everyone still loved you regardless of what you looked like or what you did for your job or what you were feeding your baby? And what if your relationships and the money were not a factor? What if literally it was just up to you? Like, how would you be living your life? Like, and you, you know, you, again, it comes to like, I know that, you know, on some inherent level, what feels good to you. For instance, like just recently. So I've, I've had, um, a current issue that I'm dealing with. My daughter's five, my little boy is two, and I've been dealing with um, television for them because my kids watch a lot of TV. And it used it used to, up until probably about six months ago when I just made peace with all of it, but it used to cause me a lot of like mom guilt because I was like, you know, I quote unquote, I know that this is bad. And, you know, we should be walking and playing outside. And, and I don't know, I think I just woke up and I was just like, I'm not really that mom. Like I'm not the mom that like, just like, takes my kids out and plays all the time. And I'm not an arts and craftsy mom. So I don't like sit down with my kids to like do like my daughter loves to color and sometimes I'll color with her, but that is the extent of it. Like we don't do little projects and you know, I don't honestly, like I'm a working mom. So when I come home, I just kind of want to lounge and I'm totally okay. If my kids just want to lounge with me and, but just making peace with that, that like why was I feeling like I had to do something different than what I was actually doing? And it was, it was guilt. It was based on some external expectation, whether that is kind of a standard, like a health standard, like, you know, what your pediatrician recommends or (laughs) the, or the, or the fear of what people think of you, you know, like some fear that I had in my brain that, you know, my kids are going to be like screwed up because they watch too much TV and, you know, (sighs) my gosh, I watched a lot of TV growing up and I turned out okay. It's going to be okay, guys. Like, And my husband, he was 100% formula fed and he's totally fine too. So like, my goodness, there are so many factors that go into like whether someone is quote unquote a good, healthy person in life. And so little has to do with the details. It's just, I mean, it's so much more about like, are you actually even connecting with your kid? You know, are you like we sit down and we just watch cartoons together. And like, sometimes I'm on my phone, sometimes I'm not. And that's like my connection with my kids. I don't have to be like playing outside with them and walking in like a hundred degree weather in San Antonio, Texas. Like that's not fun for me. Cause then we're all coming inside and we're all like sweaty and then we have to like take showers again. It's like, that's not fun for me. I love this. Cause you're preaching to the choir here. I'm like, no, I'm not that mom either. <laughs> don't make me do it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) You know, I, I'm not like a very hands-on more like a hands-off mom, but I want to encourage all listeners to grab your book and I'll link it up in the show notes so everybody can get a copy of it. Cause I've gotten almost all the way through it. I tried really hard, but then like 
people wanted my attention and then I'm like, dang it, you know, <laughs> but it, it's really good. Like I'm towards the, like the very last part and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this, you talk about in the book, actually you go into more details about a lot of stuff that we've covered. But if there's one thing that you could leave the inspired women community with just to wrap up everything we've talked about so far, uh, what would you want them to know? It is truly my mission that women can just be themselves, that you can reconnect with who you really are. And I think we are so, we limit that part of ourselves because we think we're not good enough. And so my resounding message is that you can totally be yourself and you should be yourself because that's what the world needs. But you be yourself because you are good enough, just as you are. Yes. That's my message. I always end all my emails to my newsletter list. You are enough in big, bold capital letters. Cause that's, that's how I feel the same way. Stephanie, that just has been an amazing conversation. I've had so much fun with you and the time goes by super quick, but I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your message with my audience. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspire Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.